Hi, I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life, because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Abby Fallick. Abby is the founder and CEO of Global Citizen Year. She's an award-winning social entrepreneur and an expert on the changing landscape of education. Abby is a frequent speaker and writer and has been featured in prominent forums and news outlets, including the Aspen Ideas Festival, the Fast Company Innovation Festival, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and NPR. In 2019, Abby was named one of Goldman Sachs' 100 Most Intriguing Entrepreneurs. In 2018, the Business of Giving selected her as one of America's top philanthropy speakers. And in 2016, Fast Company honored her as one of the most creative people in business. With all of these honors, I am the one who is honored to have Abby with me here today on the show. Abby, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Okay, so Abby, it's so good to see you on Zoom. Thank you so much for being here. I want to talk about you as a person and as an entrepreneur and, of course, your company. But you know, you've been a successful entrepreneur, and this podcast really is about relationships relationships with others, your relationship with yourself. And before we get into Global Citizen Year and what your company does, I would love to hear about the impact that your relationships have had on your life and on your success. That's such a big question. I'm flashing to when I was in business school and we would do case study after case study and the protagonists would come in and you know present the business challenge that they'd navigated their way through. And 201, the key piece of advice everybody wanted to leave us with was relationships are everything. People are everything. You cannot move forward in the world without putting, sort of centering the relationships in your life. And I remember hearing that and thinking, why is everybody saying the same thing? I haven't quite had the same experience yet, so it didn't quite stick, but I can look back now. And when I was then called back into business school case study classroom, that was my headline as well. Everything's about people. It starts and ends with people. I think this moment where everything's been disrupted shows us that more than ever, that the strength of the relationships we've built either persist and deepen in challenge or break because they're fragile and superficial. And you asked, and I really appreciate the sort of relationship between the relationship with myself and my relationship with other people, mm-hmm. because I think that's something I've really, and in many ways, I've, I've maybe been better at that than I have been in forming and maintaining relationships with other people. But I, I am aware that my ability to connect authentically with others is only as true and intimate as my ability to be deeply connected with myself. Do you have any strategies or tips I mean, that you can share with the listeners? You know, the reason why this podcast is called Left to Our Own Devices, we're often not connecting and we have to be intentional. You know, I found even in COVID, I thought I'd have all this time to connect with myself and connect with others. The day goes by. And so without that intentionality, it wasn't happening. I mean, how do you, you know, you're running a business, you have two little kids. I mean, what do you do to make the time to connect with yourself? At this point, I can't not make that time. I know that it shapes me in ways that allow me to be my best self and steady and effective and available for other people. I think reframing time for ourselves, not as selfish, but actually as the most important thing we can focus on 
I remember early in, you know, one of the first couple of weeks of the lockdown in the Bay Area just flashed on this quote that's attributed to Gandhi, but this idea that at one point he said, you know, I'm too busy to meditate for an hour today, so I'll meditate for two. <laughs> and I'm definitely not advocating that anybody needs to drop everything and meditate for two hours, but it did remind me that when we think it's hardest is when we need it most. Mm-hmm. And so I've been religious in a totally non-religious way about carving out time every morning to connect with myself. I have a meditation practice that I've had for many years and a kind of series of concepts that I bring up in Mm -hmm. my mind and in my heart before I start my day about appreciating what I have, about the impermanence of everything around me about karma, how I show up and what I give, it will be what I get. And Mm -hmm. then suffering, that that suffering ultimately is wanting things to be different than they are. And I find that when I can frame my day from there, uh, things flow better, my heart's more open, and I'm much more, again, connected with my own humanness so that I can be scanning for ways I can connect deeply with other humans. Mm -hmm. Well, I I love that. And just to share with with the listeners, right before we were getting started today, it was nine o'clock on the West Coast. I'm on Mountain Time, ten o'clock, and Alexa, who works with me, she's in New York at noon. And Abby sent an email saying, "Do you mind if we push this for ten minutes?" I of course said yes, and it turns out that you knew you were taking that time, that ten minutes, because you said you had a crazy morning to honor the relationship with yourself and center yourself before this interview. And I think, especially as women, we often don't take that time to honor that relationship with ourselves. So I'm glad you felt comfortable enough to tell me, you know, you wanted to push it for 10 minutes because it's exactly what we're talking about. Well, and I knew, knew the conversation I was coming into with, with the human I was talking to that it was going to be okay. You know, when I look at it, it's really about creating a through line, a consistent connection that persists despite waves. So everything around us is changing so Mm -hmm. fast all the time. And there's a steadiness that can come from knowing that I connect with myself in the morning in that way. I have other rituals in the evening. They're just about closing out the day. I write down three things that brought me joy during the day. And there've been plenty of days in the last six months where that's actually been hard to find. Mm -hmm. But even if I can't come up with something, it's the reminder that, oh, got to try harder tomorrow. Open your eyes for Mm -hmm. what's worth savoring because there is a lot here. And um, that just, again, there's a, a steady through line when we know how to come back to ourselves. Yeah. Well, as you know, we're going to get into it, but I'm a big, big fan of rituals these days, both for ourselves and at work. So tell me, for, for those that aren't familiar with Global Citizen Year, give us an overview of the company and why is a gap year or a bridge year or a year on purpose, as you call it, so important? I am obsessed with transitions and obsessed with the difference between a, a change in circumstance, and which is a thing that happens to us, and a transition, which is a deliberate step back, reflection, integration. It's a psychological process. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I think we're living through this moment. People have described a pandemic pause or a, a pandemic portal, which I love this notion that as a you know, global community, we're walking through, we have walked through a doorway. One chapter of history, human history is closed. 
-hmm. And we're sitting in this liminal space before we know exactly what comes next. And as an entrepreneur, it's been highly energizing to sit here and feel like, okay, what does the world need next? And how do we build it? Because we can't just default to, you know, what the market solutions and the least common denominator might build out the other side. So you asked about Global Citizen Year, which is really my way of of creating a transition where there hasn't been one, a transition into young adulthood for young people from all backgrounds, recognizing that childhood has become this high stakes game to get into college, that our devices have hijacked our ability to pay attention to ourselves and to others, and that the sort of mode and pace of our ed educational approach is doing such a disservice to the development of the types of humans and citizens and leaders that we need most. So my mission from a very young age, actually, from the time I finished high school and desperately wanted to create a space that could feel more like a transition, my mission has been to carve it out. How do we forge a pathway that says no one should be shuttled along from childhood straight into adulthood or into college without the opportunity to step back, reflect on who you are and who you're becoming in a structured and supported way as the then foundation for the rest of your life. So that's the gist of what we do at Global Citizen Year where we recruit select exceptional kids from around the world to spend a year with us as the equivalent of a school year mm -hmm. an intensive leadership course where they live and work uh, alongside the global majority in Asia, Africa, Latin America, learning through firsthand experience, developing empathy, learning language, stretching their comfort zone um, and developing a much clearer foundation for who they are and, and who they want. And, and to date, how many kids have gone through the program? So we have a thousand, more than a thousand alumni at this wow. point. We're one decade in and, you know, 2020 was our, our 10 year celebration. We had just what we were about to welcome home our 10th class of fellows from their field placements when COVID hit. And we actually had to stage a quite dramatic and sudden emergency evacuation to get everybody home very quickly oh before borders closed and um, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And yeah, I, I look back and I think we're in a transition organizationally as well. So this whole moment has opened up a, a space that we hadn't anticipated where a new strategy is emerging and it's actually more energizing and more hopeful a time for the organization that, that I remember since we got started 10 years ago. Right. So I've read you went through the difficult decision to not have the program, right, in the 20 this past year, and then you ended up launching this Global Citizen Academy. So talk a little bit about that, this, and I, it looks like from what I've read, it just started in August. Yeah. And, you know, how, how is it going? And do you see this as part of your business from here out? Could this be a pivot that stays? Well, and originally we were talking about it as a pivot in the moment because it felt clear that with an unprecedented number of 2020 high school grads mm -hmm. unable to go to college as planned or choosing not to for all kinds of very sound reasons that here we were with 10 years of experience specifically about creating a transformative learning experience for young people in that very sweet spot developmentally. And so we knew we couldn't sit on the sideline. We also knew it was totally irresponsible to think about sending young people around the world during a pandemic. And what we decided early on was that we weren't going to create a, an online global citizen. There's nothing that replicates that kind of immersive right. lived experience. But what we could do is replicate the components of our teaching and learning approach, of our pedagogy, of our curriculum, of the coaching methods that we use, and deliver it through a new platform. And so that was that's what we've done now with our new academy. 
And at the outset, I think we thought we were just solving a problem for the fall for a whole set of kids who were looking for what we could offer. And now it's become quite clear that it's not just a pivot, it's actually part of the path, that this becomes the opportunity to dramatically scale our reach and our mm-hmm. impact in a way that's uh, lower cost, more sustainable financially. We're set up as a not-for-profit. And so we've got a, a business model that looks quite different, but it's been a really exciting opportunity to work with visionary donors about what an experience like this looks like when it's accessible broadly to kids from around the world. We experimented with a, a radical approach to pricing that's pay what you can. Wow. Really demonstrate that this was not meant to be an elite or exclusive experience. And 60% of the students who are joining us from literally 50 countries are receiving a full scholarship in order to be with us, which is one of the things we feel really jazzed about. So how many kids are in this inaugural academy year? We've got 200 who just joined us. So they're starting classes literally this week. And they are a hopeful and determined bunch. They heard what we were up to and raised their hands. And, you know, a couple months later, here they are creating a community with young people like them around the world. The notion is to help them find their people, their purpose, and their power to make an impact. These are kids who didn't want to sit on the sidelines as the world comes apart at the seams, but they want to figure out how to develop themselves in ways that the world needs now. It reminds me just back where we started this conversation about relationships and you're giving these kids an opportunity to learn these leadership skills and all of these new skills that are important in this global marketplace. But I would envision, you know, my guess would be there's 200 kids and they do certain things in groups and cohorts and this opportunity to, to really deepen relationships on a global basis is a gift that you're giving them that they'll have forever. These kids are from Bhutan and China and Bangladesh, Chile, Mauritania, and Tanzania. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling the kind of diversity, the dimensions Mm -hmm. of diversity and how quickly they've already bonded. There's a sense of where have you been all my life? Here I am, here you are, what can we do together? And we're just getting started. Right, it'll be so cool to track those relationships and businesses that get started and all the different things that are going to that are going to end up 5 years from now 10 years you know tie back to this inaugural year so i i think it's amazing and also as you know i have twin girls who are seniors in high school so i am listening <laughs> very acutely to to all of this to think about a bridge year. And I agree, these kids are just, it's so intense and we're in the middle of the college process and to give them that year to to take in what they've learned in high school and to continue growing as a human. And my guess is, and I'm sure you have data around this and, and maybe you can share it, when, it, when kids go through this bridge year and then get to college, are there statistics around whether they complete college, you know, in four years versus longer or their readiness. What have you seen in terms of some of the human benefits of taking a bridge year? We've tracked the data really closely and it bears out with what our instincts and hypotheses would have been, which is if you can deliver a young person as, as you said, Erica, as a human and not just as a student, their identity has brought their sense of who they are and what they care about is more deliberate. They arrive in school with burning questions that they're there to answer as opposed to burnt out from the treadmill that they were on. 
I am totally convinced that one of the other transitions we're living through right now is will result in a complete reconfiguration of what we believe is a higher education. Right. What's worth doing, what's worth paying for, what are the component parts? They all need to be tightly bundled around a four-year uh, college package. And I, I think, you know, by the time my kids are moving through high school, there will be so many valid, encouraged, accessible pathways into young adulthood that don't look anything like what we've built right now. Right. And to your question, yeah, our alumni get through college on average one year faster than the national average is. And to me, even more significantly, they report feeling more fulfilled with the experience. They have more self-awareness, more confidence, more resilience, more ease with ambiguity. And then they end up in jobs where they report 80% of them feel like they are highly engaged and making a difference in some way. And that's compared to 30% when we benchmark against national stats. Wow. So they're just, it's, you're turned on. You're an agent of your learning and of your life in a way that our traditional educational paradigm is teaching and reinforcing the opposite behaviors. Right. I love that. You're an, you're an agent. You, yeah, you go in feeling more empowered. So here's my one of my big questions. As I sit here and listen to you, and we're going to talk about rituals, do you think we could get to a point where taking a, a gap year, a bridge year becomes a ritual, becomes the norm, becomes something where you know, someone will say, look at your resume one day and say, oh my gosh, wow, you didn't, why didn't you take a bridge year? I mean, it's the norm, you know, for probably a ways from that. But do you think, you know, I mean, I think about in Israel, people go into the military or we've heard a lot about having an automatic year of service, even in this country. So could that ever become a reality in your mind? It will. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it is costly to kids and to families and to colleges and to society that we're shuttling kids from school straight into more school without them knowing why they're there. And I think there's a terrific analog when we think about the professional school, so business school and law school, that early on, you know, originally would recruit you straight out of college. And now mm -hmm. they never would. You need never, real experience yep. because they know they get better students. And colleges will move in that direction as well. And I think 2020 will be the inflection point in our shared understanding that we're sending kids to school, to the, the biggest financial investment that somebody is making in your life without being prepared to make the most of that investment yet. In crass financial and economic and return on investment terms, we're going to come to that conclusion pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great analogy on the business school. I mean, you and I both went to business school and you couldn't even think about applying to business school without, I mean, I had three years of experience and now they want even more, you know, to get into one of the top business schools because they want you to be able to leverage what you've learned and, and be more additive to the group. And to your point, to get a real return on that investment. It's two years out of the workforce, it's a lot of money. So that's a great, that's a great analogy. What about rituals? So you're going to be profiled in my new book and rituals give us as individuals a sense of psychological safety and belonging and connection. I mean, you talked about your own rituals around meditation in the beginning of the day. Can you talk about the company ritual that you shared with me around the deck of cards, which I thought was such a fun example? Oh yeah, the deck. So anybody can call it at any time where it'll come across Slack and the whole team. I mean, this is of another era when we were actually in the same place, but everybody gets up and does a sort of series of calisthenics, passing a deck of cards around and tells you how many sit-ups and push-ups to do. It's very fun and gets us all out of our heads and into our bodies. Um, and the way that we've been 
doing that now is we have a weekly, oh, what are we calling it? Get up and sweat, something like that. That's done by Zoom and it rotates through the team of who's leading it, but you can do whatever it is that is a physical invigorating activity and whoever wants to sign on does. And last week we had a colleague teach a yoga class, which he'd never done before, but it was awesome. And I know others have done, you know, Pilates and cardio. So yeah, we were big believers in connecting with our body helps us stay calm and sane. Right. And also connecting with each other in that moment in a way that's, you know, brings a little levity. You know, I've been talking to people these days about, you know, be open that these days are long and hard and this has been going on for six months and it's okay to bring some levity and laugh a little bit. I think it's great. Somebody that's never taught a yoga class just would be willing to get online and teach a yoga class to all and of And he was colleagues. awesome. It was great. It was really fun <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> that's great. Have you ended up creating any new rituals during COVID with your team? I think we're honoring the beginning of meetings with more of a commitment to connecting as people, Mm -hmm. Um, just recognizing that everybody's in such different places and different places on the wave also emotionally where we can have highs and lows that are dramatic and shift quickly. And so our Monday meeting is now all virtual, but we do a really intensive check-in before we get going. In fact, we actually Mm -hmm. start every meeting with a moment or two of just a sort of mindful reflection to cleanse the palate and be deliberate about that transition. So we ring a bell and and everyone's quiet. And then our team meetings, we're breaking into small groups and talking about a prompt that elicits a more human and personal conversation. Mm -hmm. For example, if you had a superpower and could change one thing in the world, what would it be right now? Or what's the thing that most gave you joy in the last couple of days? If you weren't in the role you're in here and now, what's an alternative career path, sort of the road not taken? Wow. They've just been totally lovely ways to connect with a random smattering Mm -hmm. of of teammates. And then there are other rituals that we've kept that have always shaped our meeting and time together. So in our senior team meetings, we start with a check-in that we call the stoplight. So everybody goes around and says whether they are green, yellow, or red, which is an indicator of how present they are and how much attention they feel they're able to put on the meeting and the conversation. So green means I'm all here. A yellow means I'm almost here, but a little distracted and pulled. And a red means I've just got sort of fires burning in the back of my mind Mm -hmm. and, and it's hard for me to be present. So I appreciate all those things. And then the opportunity that we replicate them in the work we do with our fellows and our students as well, because we're a or a group of humans trying to role model behaviors and practices and rituals for a group of young humans. And so everything that we experiment with as a team, we get to share with, with the students who join us. I love that. You know, one of the questions I've been getting a lot recently is, you know, we've been in this pandemic and working remote for six months. Do I need to keep checking in with my employees? And my answer is yes, you do. But in the beginning, you know, not every meeting check-in needs to be 20 minutes of a 45-minute meeting. And, and so I love this example of, of red, yellow, and green. And it's not that you're going to do a deep dive in that moment in front of everybody to get into why someone's a red. But as soon as that meeting's over, you know, it builds this sense of, of empathy in that, yeah, we're six months into this, but you know, your kids just started online school this week from home. So you might not be a green and, you know, I might not either. And so I think, 
it's important for people to know it's we need to keep doing it, but there are ways to do it that enable you to continue to also work, but feel connected at the same time. Absolutely. I, I had a, a powerful experience yesterday at our Monday meeting where, and I hadn't planned to do this, but I, I was closing the meeting and often either I or someone else will read something or share something inspiring to sort of kick off the week. And I did my thing that I, you know, had gathered. It was a quote to read. And then I just got really honest that I was having a hard time, that our childcare was in flux, that we hadn't left the house because of the fires, and that I was at a part of this sort of emotional wave that was making it hard for me to be fully present. And I, it felt important. I, I, I was nervous to do it, which I think was a good signal that it was probably the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. It showed vulnerability and humanness for sure. And the feedback I got from the team was, thank you, thank you, thank you. I feel seen and understood and met when we can see that you also are riding these waves with us. And so even I, who's sort of so focused on leading from the inside out and being as vulnerable and authentic as I can, recognize that it's really easy to do when the vulnerability is sort of once I've moved through a challenge and can then talk about it. It's much harder to do when you're sitting in the midst of it, the messy, messy middle. Um, but it felt really good to do. And I think there's a power in there for leaders in uh, finding the strength in vulnerability and the courage or sort of confidence and humility both mm -hmm. show up a little bit more whole. I love what you just said about doing it when you're in the middle of it. And, you know, when I wrote Bring Your Human to Work, I thought about this a lot because bringing your whole self and your human to work, which you did in that moment, you know, is good for you, but it's good for your business. I mean, we're also running businesses here. And so if you're trying to run a business in the middle of a pandemic, and if you want your employees to share with you when they're feeling like that so that other people can step in and help them to get their job done. You know, it's both the human and the job. You modeling that in that moment is really powerful and has real, in my mind, bottom line implications. And so I hope everybody listening to this takes that and really thinks about it and tries to push themselves out of their comfort zone to try it. So thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. So I have one more question and then I have a couple of few fun rapid fire questions and we'll wrap it up. What do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? I, at a deep level, feel like I am here to be a teacher and a learner and a teacher and a learner and a teacher and a learner. And the cycle continues. So I would actually say it's some combination of learning, voracious reader, and this opportunity of sort of less travel and more time at home has actually allowed me to be reading more. And then kind of processing, interpreting, and sharing. So whether I am sharing what I, the dots I'm connecting with my team or with our students, that to me feels like flying. There's this sense of when I'm doing the thing that only I can do that only my brain is mishmashed together where I can sort of combine my head and my heart, sharing something out with others. Um, there's something in teaching that really mm -hmm. calls all of me and makes me feel most like myself. I love it. It's that, it's that sweet spot. I can see the look on your face that, that <laughs> you just light up when you talk about that. And I think that's how you know that you're doing something that makes you feel most like you. And, and I think you and I are both lucky that we've found 
careers and then we're do we're in a world that we're actually doing something professionally that makes us feel most like us. So I, I think it's really amazing. Okay. So rapid fire, what are you reading right now? Oh my gosh. I've got a, I mean, my eyes are bigger than my capacity, I would say. So I've got a growing pile. Uh, one of our questions was, what are you spending more money on now and less money on other things? And I said, more money on my book habit. So let's see, I just read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which I just think oh, is I just essential, essential reading for humans on earth today. Oh gosh, I can't do I have the new Elena Ferrante on my bedside. I loved her. My brilliant friends. I tend toward nonfiction, but it's really also helpful to get lost in fiction. Yeah. What about Netflix? Any time to binge anything? Oh my goodness. Yes. We just watched, and I would imagine you're way ahead on this, but The Social Dilemma. No. Oh my goodness, Erica. I kept thinking of you, in fact. Okay. So it is also essential watching uh, an hour and a half, and it's a documentary about how the big tech companies have deliberately taken advantage of human weakness. Oh, wow. And that if we are not the customers of social media platforms that are free, we are the profits. All right. I'm watching this tonight and I will report back. It's really chilling. And I can't say optimistic, but just really important for us to have full awareness of what is being happened to us right. and have more compassion for ourselves around how hard it is to break our addictive habits. Right. It's actually not in our capacity to have the discipline that we think we should as it relates to our, our tech addictions. It's, we are being manipulated. I agree. I'm going to watch it. I seriously, I'm going to watch it tonight. And my final question, if you were one of your students right now and you were going to take a, a gap year, where would you want to go? Oh my gosh, really? Anywhere where the air is clean and clear. That's all I hope for right now. I will say this period has uh, just given me so much appreciation for my life and where I live and everything I have had access to and the ability to travel and just feeling right now like nothing can be taken for granted. And my yeah. honest answer is clear air. Clear air. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being here today. It was great to catch up and see you. And I look forward to seeing you in person one day very soon. Thank you, Erica. Take care. Thank you for tuning in this week to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word HUMAN to 66866. Or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.